Welcome to McKinsey on Insurance, a podcast featuring discussions of trends, disruptions, strategies that are reshaping the industry as we know it today. I'm Quaylen Ellengrud, a senior partner based in Minneapolis and the leader of our life insurance work in North America. I'm also a director of the McKinsey Global Institute. Joining me today are partner Piesh Luter, based in Dusseldorf, partner Violet Chung, based in Hong Kong, and senior partner Stefan Binder, based in Zurich. Welcome to all of you, and thank you for being here. Today, we're going to talk about women in financial services broadly, and particularly in insurance. I'm looking forward to getting your perspectives on how far we've come, but also what work there is left to do. McKinsey's latest Women in the Workplace report is painting an alarming picture. Two years into COVID, we're seeing many more women leave the workforce than men. We're also seeing much higher rates of burnout and exhaustion from work uh, in women versus men. Despite this, we see women leaders stepping up significantly to support employee well-being, diversity and inclusion, but that work, unfortunately, isn't recognized as broadly as we need it to be. Pia, what are you seeing in terms of diversity developments in Europe? Thank you for having us. We actually see very similar developments as you are describing for the US, both in terms of women having having higher burnout rates, but also in terms of women doing even more to support employee well-being and carrying a double load um, at home and at work. And Violet, what do you see in Asia? So there's a term called double shift. What that means is you do your work at work, and then at home you're expected uh, to take care of family. I think it's uh, more or less a societal expectation in many Asian societies. And that's actually hitting a lot of women, especially in COVID, where you know we're finding 42% of women say they're burned out. Many women we interview also said that essentially they are expected among their colleagues to support others more than their male counterpart have to. The other thing that we're seeing is essentially they're accounting for essentially one in 15 roles in entry level, right? But only one in 15 in C-suite. So you get the picture. There's quite a bit of stress, quite a bit of imbalance as you look at the results. In comparison in North America, what we're seeing is promising, actually, in insurance. Uh, insurance is actually more diverse than other industries. Stefan, as you look across insurance, have we made enough progress on diversity and inclusion, or what else do we need to yet do? In Europe, I think is clearly too low, right? It's getting better, but it's way too low. And I do think that's a challenge for insurance companies, right? Because it's lacking the breadth of perspectives, the breadth of experience that, that, that more women, especially in senior positions, would bring. As insurance companies are becoming more digital, more customer-oriented, are facing a lot more challenges, are living in more volatile environments, this breadth of experience and diversity of perspectives become more relevant, even more relevant. The awareness, I think, has hugely increased over the last year. Acknowledging the importance is not going to change anything, right? It's hard work day to day to to make this change happen. We know that mentorship and sponsorship is such an important element of success in increasing diversity. From some of our research, we know that female team leaders are supporting their teams on average consistently more in terms of emotional support, connecting and managing overall well-being, ensuring that their team members have manageable workloads. 
And those female managers on average are doing so between six and 11 percentage points more of the time than the average male manager. Pia, Stefan, across Europe, do you think there's enough sponsorship within insurance? I mean, mentorship and sponsorship are crucial uh, to reach also the diversity goals. But I think we also need more long-term strategies. Insurers really do need to assure that the right conditions for all employees are in place for them to develop their full potential and also to feel valued. And actually, a few years ago, we as McKinsey already published an analysis stating that the companies that are especially uh, successful are those that offer their employees the freedom to also try out new methods and to learn from mistakes and that are clearly committed to diversity. I hear often that women and people of color are often over-mentored, but under-sponsored. And so that shift from mentorship, I'll give you advice, I'll tell you how I kind of uh, led through my journey, to no, I'm going to sponsor you. I'm going to create opportunities. I'm going to risk my political capital. I'm going to bet on my relationships to create opportunities that didn't exist before. I think that's the unlock that we want to see more of. And I've seen some insurance carriers take the pretty bold move across senior leadership teams to say, you know what, you, Violet, Pia, Stefan, who do you mentor who doesn't look like you? But I think it's that push to Let's bridge across differences. Let's meet new people. Let's get outside our comfort zone. And if we can hold each other accountable for who we mentor or sponsor, especially who doesn't look like us, I think that's when we'll start to build those bridges. I completely agree, Huilin. I think sponsorship is very, very important. But I think even more important so is probably the mindset for corporates, right? And, you know, as a woman, I hate it when I hear that, you know, this is just a woman initiative. It actually should make absolute business sense. And in fact, in um, one of the research that we did in the past, we realized that companies with higher diversity, especially on women percentage, has 20 to 25% more ROI, right? So I think that should be the first conversation that companies recognize. And I think when it comes to creating an inclusive environment, what Stefan and Pia said, I think is extremely relevant, right? This is like any change management. It needs to be a top-down initiative. I think one more thing I would add is really tackling the unconscious bias. So what that means is really seeing where is the engine broken down, right? So taking a very transparent approach on understanding which part of the funnel, which part of the matrix are we missing and actually needs the most fixing um, in terms of both hiring, retention, and be able to sort of fix it that way. Unconscious bias is, is such a critical element. We've done and seen some research across the board. In fact, we can give you exactly identical resumes, right, to women and men. And one resume says John Doe or an average typical male name, and another resume has a typical female name, Jane Doe. And when you give these resumes to people in kind of scientific experiments with all of the same bullet points, all of the same font size, same font type, both men and women ascribe greater leadership and higher future potential to this imaginary John Doe. And that's the both conscious and unconscious bias that has been societally ingrained. That doesn't just affect women and men at the entry levels, that affects people across that talent pipeline. And at least in the United States, if on that exactly identical resume for Jane Doe, you put active PTA member or another signal that she is a very active parent, it's something like 87% less likely to get the job. 
because we all have societally ingrained notions that that woman is going to prioritize her family, not prioritize her job, and therefore will be a less valuable employee. All of these both unconscious biases, Violet, as you were describing, but also in some cases quite conscious biases are playing out. We can study it at the front end of the funnel. But what happens when we're talking about promotion rates? You know, Stefan earlier was describing we want more flexibility. Well, the flip side of the flexibility is if women or others with care responsibilities are coming into the office less in a post-COVID hybrid environment, we're less visible, we're less top of mind when people are thinking about step-up opportunities or big roles, then over the years, we will see that play out in fewer advancement opportunities over time. And so the flip side of the flexibility is when we're in the office, we've got to make it count, right? We've got to connect with our colleagues. We've got to deepen those relationships. We've got to make sure that our sponsorship network is just as strong as our peers. Uh, and that's, I think, the gap that we need to bridge in this new flexible hybrid environment. Would love to open it up to the group. What other actions do you think could help advance diversity within insurance? I think one of the best advice that I got from uh, one of SEALs whom I've counseled is that essentially he gave me the confidence as being one of the few females in many of these board meetings or you know executive meetings with him, where as a female leader, I tend to be less uh, feeling that the less need of uh, filling the room. I tend to step back a bit more and observe the room, right? And uh, really sort of step back and see sort of what's a win-win for everyone in the situation. And for him to tell me that after, um, you know, years of working with him and his team is actually quite refreshing, right? So I, I think as a woman leader, I think we all need to take a bit of a celebration on the fact that, you know, we ad actually add quite a bit of inspiration and actually add quite a bit to the room because of the diversity and the energy that we bring to the room. Since that feedback, I would have to say, you know, it gives me so much confidence walking into a room uh, in multiple different situations, many of which essentially I'm one of those few females. So I think sort of having that sort of pat in the back more often and uh, giving that inspiration to myself and also uh, the peers that work with me. Violet, I love that example. And I think you can either embrace the fact that you're going to stand out as a woman in that environment and kind of prepare what you want to say and how you want to be perceived and how you want to add to the conversation. Or you could think about it as, oh, you know, it's it's challenging. I'm the only one in the room. And, and I love that you sort of embrace that diversity and what you bring to the conversation. One other way to think about it is also, you know, if you're a CEO now in the insurance industry today and you want to change something, it's actually quite hard to do this, right? Because you probably don't have enough women at, at a senior enough level in your company to be able to promote them quickly. Insurance companies, as we know, are also in, in need of more talent from other industries, right? Be that from asset management or banking or consumer goods or digital and, and so on. And there are many other industries that actually have more women leaders. So maybe one way to think about it is also, you know, as we diversify our leadership group in the companies and, and bring in more talent that actually have different perspectives, I mean, combine that with also bringing in more women. That's, that's one way to contribute to that. 
And then, Stefan, maybe to your point, I mean, what I also see is that some insurers uh, manage in a much better way than others, right? Because if we look at the numbers in Europe and you see that uh, they are still like the number of uh, female top managers in insurance are still super low with, I think, like 11% of women in leadership positions in Germany in the insurance sector. But then you have some insurers that manage to have 30% of their board or their really top management being female. I think one thing that insurers can also do is just look at how other insurers have managed to achieve this and what others are doing to further sponsor women or develop their female talent. I think it's important to keep in mind that half of companies, half of carriers, don't really make any progress on gender diversity, right? From where they start to where they end up five years later, most companies are just trying to replace the diversity that they lose over that time period. And it's only the top half of companies that are actually making progress and a very small percentage, actually 5% on the gender diversity side, 15% on the racial diversity side that actually make significant progress off a pretty positive base to begin with. And so the question for us is, how do carriers get into that 5 to 15% top decile, if you will, uh, of performance on diversity. A couple of things that I've seen and would love your thoughts on, on other actions that leading companies have taken, um, but one is setting aspirational goals. Setting a clear and aspirational goal, not a quota, but an aspirational goal or target that the entire company wants to get to, and then cascading that accountability across each line of business, across each function. And your starting point in IT is going to be very different than in HR, but wherever you're starting, how do you systematically get to a better spot and share those best practices across the organization? The second thing we've at least seen with North American leading companies is to set those goals both for gender diversity and racial diversity, and then to tie them either in personal performance reviews or in some bolder cases, actually tie them to senior leadership comp. And you can imagine when you put your money where your mouth is, numbers start to move. What other actions have you seen that leading carriers have taken? I think it starts from the top. I think it's just like the top management paying attention to this and making it also their personal um, objective to sponsor women. And also they communicated it, uh, it extensively externally. So they also made an external commitment and always followed up on their progress. Violet, you mentioned uh, a bit of this double shift, right? This challenge of managing two careers uh, at work and then coming home uh, and having additional significant responsibilities. One thing we see in North America is that women are much more likely to be part of a dual career couple. So 80% of the women in the U.S. are part of a dual career couple and about 56% of the men. And you can imagine as you get more senior, more senior women are more likely to be part of a dual career couple. More senior men are less likely to be part of a dual career couple. And as you think about the balance of two careers, potentially intense careers, and then the balance at home, picking a partner uh, over time who more equally shares that you know responsibilities on the home front is actually, I think, one of the most critical things for personal balance and advancement in your career. We see in the United States that women do about twice as much what we call unpaid care work as men. Around the world, it's about three to one. In some countries like India, it's 10 to one. Women literally do 10 times as much 
shopping, cooking, cleaning, taking care of kids, taking care of parents, taking care of in-laws as men. We think about balance outside the workplace. How do we shrink that overall, right? By automating things, e-delivery, a lot of the shifts in COVID have helped a bit, but then whatever remains, how do we share that much more equally across a household so that we can all participate fully in the workforce? So some of the things I've seen in Asia is um, companies creating essentially those network of supports, right? I think one thing for these dual salary parents is the ability to find people like them and sharing experience, uh, sharing services that actually uh, are great around their surrounding area, right? So there's a Increasingly, more companies that are doing that as a service, and that's actually a function of HR, right? Uh, ensuring sort of, um, you know, the folks that are young parents, uh, young families, or families with uh, elders that that require more attention have those group facilities. The other thing is uh, what we're seeing with increasingly more insurers doing is they're actually, uh, you know, investing in some of these facilities uh, for their employees. We're starting to see some of the more innovators in the region that is, are actually investing in schools or even hospitals uh, network for, for their employees to have uh, a preferential entrance or preferential care. Stefan, you mentioned a strategy of thinking outside of insurance uh, to borrow diversity, if you will. I think the insurance industry is very well positioned to do that, uh, particularly because of purpose, has such a strong purpose to protect families, to be there in that moment of need. I think that ability to feel a strong bond to the purpose of insurance carriers is there and would be, I think, disproportionately attractive to women and diverse leaders. And so hopefully we can use the purpose, the good that insurance does for society to bring more diverse leaders into insurance. I completely agree, right? And if you take a slightly broader lens, right? I mean, you mentioned earlier CVs that have, you know, significant leadership roles and engagement in the education sector and with schools or look at NGOs. I mean, there's terrific leadership by by many women that I think is sort of seen as outside of the corporate world. And, and I would challenge that and say, why is that, right? I mean, these are incredible talents. And as, as an insurance company, you know, it's actually, uh, as you said, right, easier than maybe for some other industries to build these bridges. And, and I also very much agree with Violet. We're not just doing this out of, you know, trying to be good, right? It makes business sense. And these companies are getting more resilient. They have more of a breadth of perspectives. The more they want to get customer-oriented, especially in the retail front, right? Like really understanding the customers is not something that's a birthright for many insurance companies. So they will need that, right? And if, if you think it's the same sort of, you know, senior, mid-aged male executives that now suddenly discover the customer, I don't think that's going to happen, right? So you need the diversity um, because these customers are diverse. There's something that gives me hope. If I look at the next generation, right, and next, next generation of young people now and, and, and that are entering um, the professional world or have entered over the last years, I mean, it, it feels to me there is much more of a need for flexibility, both for men and women, right? Because if everyone has sort of a job that is more flexible, then, then it's also much easier to share and balance, right? And I think the discussion should really be, as many of you said now, right, what can we do to accelerate? I think we are moving in the right direction. We all agree there's still room for improvement across insurance and across the globe. But we've come a long way and there's a lot to celebrate. Thank you all for this lively conversation today. And to the audience, thank you for listening. 
Remember to subscribe to McKinsey on Insurance Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.